You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Test one, two, test, test, test. Test one, two, test. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Can everybody hear me? Am I sounding good in the mic right there? Cool. Are we live? Oh, sweet. We're live. All right. What's up, everybody? How's it going? All right. Glad I didn't say anything too stupid. All right. So, hey, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then uh, we can dive into tonight's topic. Father God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for just allowing us this this time together to uh, glorify you, to worship you, to uh, talk about your word, um, to talk about... Um, how we came to think of Jesus as he is in the scriptures and through all the debates and all these things of the early church. God, we are so thankful for our forefathers running before us and setting the path. Father God, I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before um, I get too deep into this, i got a book I want to recommend to you. There's, there's a series of this uh, called the No Series. Uh, there's Know the Creed and Councils. There's No the, this is my favorite one, Know the Heretics. All right, and the reason why I love this book is because it talks about these early church heresies and how we can learn from them and the actual contemporary relevance and how they pop back up in our modern church and modern society. So, for example, Arianism, which we haven't touched on that one, I don't think, in Difficult Doctrines. Have we, Thomas? We haven't touched on Arianism. We're not going to touch on that one tonight either, but that one's very prevalent. We see that one pop up in um, modern-day Mormonism and modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses. And so we see those two heresies pop back up. They, they keep coming back. And so we can only learn about our future if we know about our past, and we can only learn about our current situation if we know about our past, all right? That's why I love history. So highly recommend these. Really cheap. They're about the size of a pamphlet, and you can just read them. They're really quick reads. Really interesting. So know the heretics. Justin Holcomb, that's where a lot of my notes came from tonight, as well as Grudem's text. All right, so let's talk about heresy. So when you hear the word heresy, what do you typically think of? I got some examples on there, but anybody? Yeah, somebody who teaches something that's contrary to Scripture, right? Like, that's typically what us as Christians, you know, that's what we think of. Um, I always just think about, like, you know, burning at the stake. You know, you see that a lot. You see, like, you know, they burned heretics at the stake. Um, the Inquisition, they were burning everybody at the stake, it seemed like, and so, uh, you, know, or, you know, kind of that period of um, history. But heresy, break it down, basic definition of heresy, according to Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, is adherence to a religious opinion contrary to church dogma. A second definition is dissent or deviation from a dominant theory, opinion, or practice. All right, so you can probably think of some heresies that you've probably heard. Um, a very famous one would be the prosperity gospel, all right? That's a very modern-day heresy that we would call a heresy because it deviates away from the biblical gospel, all right? Now, we're going to be talking about some ancient heresies, and when I say ancient heresies, they still creep back into um, our current context, and specifically, most of the time, in these heresies we're going to talk about tonight, by accident, all right? Good and well-meaning.
Test one, two. There we go. All right, we're back. All right, back in action. Um, sorry about that. Batteries died. I didn't check those. All right, so anyway, um, modern day, what typically happens is, is that we will strive into these heresies by accident, just in common language, common use of language, and we're going to talk about how that happens in our modern day, because that's one thing I want you to see is that these things, first off, I want to point this out. First off, most of the time when we, come, when we talk about heretics, we think of somebody that's like wearing like some kind of like black cloak, got vampire teeth, and they look really evil, and they're like, I'm here to destroy the church. All right, that's not typically what these heretics were. All right, these are well-meaning men who were men of God who strove to see God in the way that they believed the scriptures interpreted it. All right, now, were they wrong? Yes. In a lot of ways, were they very wrong? Yes, all right, and we'll talk about why that's so important, but these were not men who were sitting there trying to destroy the church. They were actually trying to figure out what's right, all right, so we've got to be thankful for that, and then we'll talk about how they came to know what is right. All right, so tonight we're going to be talking about three specific heresies in a solution pertaining to Jesus, all right? This is a word that we like to use in our circles called Christological, which means of Christ, all right? Christology, Christology, all right, the study of Jesus, these three heresies all pertain to Jesus. The first one I want to talk about is um, Apollinar... Apo- Gosh, I sound like a Nemo. All right. Um, Apollinarianism. There we go. All right. Famous bishop of Laodicea, Apollinarius, around 80 So you can see how early this is. All right. Very early on in the church's history. Teaching was this. The one person of Jesus had a human body but not a human mind or spirit, or you can put in soul, but had a divine mind and spirit from Jesus' divine nature as the Son of God. So I put a diagram there, all right? So it shows human body, divine nature. And I even brought one of my son's toys to show you how this simple this is, okay? Let's say this is Jesus' human body, Jesus' divine nature. We got Jesus, all right? Now, what's wrong with that view? This is like interaction time, all right? Like I got these, like, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to call these people out. on the, We're going we're gonna to scream heresy and explain why it's a heresy. So, de- okay. It can't be compartmentalized. So you're going on the right track especially when it comes in returns of, like, humanity, God's fully man, fully fully God, there's something missing from this equation. You have human body, divine spirit, divine mind, divine nature coming together. What is missing from the humanity side? Human mind. There you go. Good job, Alec. The human mind. The human soul. The human nature. All right, that's what's missing here, okay? Because here's the thing. As people who are broken, we need to realize this. Is there something within our body that needs to be renewed? Yes, all right? Me and Ellie can scream from the rooftops, amen, all right? We have broken feet, okay? Our body needs to be renewed. But what ultimately needs to be renewed inside of us? Not just our body, our what? Our spirit, our soul, that deep part of us that's broken because of sin. That is what needs to be ultimately renewed inside humanity. Now, that does not mean that our body is a bad thing. No, all right? We're not going to get to this like Gnostic idea that flesh is bad, okay? Flesh is good. God created it and called it good. Sin corrupts it, but it is not bad. So that is the missing part of Apollinarianism is this simply that 
It's just this joining together of human body, divine nature. There's no human mind, no human soul, none of the full humanity aspect of Jesus there. Does that make sense? Or essentially it's kind of this divine shell invades this empty human body. Okay, possesses it in a sense. Does that make sense? All right. Um, if you've probably been familiar with anything like that. All right, so this is it. So this does not accomplish salvation for humanity in that our human body is, only what needs, is not only what needs saving, but our human mind and soul need renewal. Hebrews 2, 17. All right. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. This review popped up. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. All right, what Anna pointed out just a second ago, Jesus is like us because he was fully man. He has to be fully man in all aspects of humanity. He can't just be a human body. He has to have a human nature is what we would come down into the philosophical terms. And at the same time has a divine nature. So just like the tomato, divine nature, human body, comes together, makes Jesus. Exactly. He, ha he cannot be an image bearer. Thank you, Stephen. That's a good point. He can't be an image bearer like us if he doesn't have that. All right. He has to be both well, I don't want to say both in because I don't want to like creep into it because that's what I was talking about earlier. He has to be fully man, fully God. There we go. All right, there we go. I have to be careful about how I word that, all right? So this heresy was rejected by several, several church councils from 8362 Alexandria, the first one, to 8381 Constantinople. All right, so we're going to talk about church councils starting now. All right, so this next one is Nestorianism, okay? He was a bishop of Constantinople, AD 428. And this is the funny thing about Nestorius. He more than likely never taught the heresy that bears his name. All right? More than likely, we have no documentation, we have no proof that he actually taught this heresy, which is so funny, right? How did it come to bear his name, Tyler? Thank you for asking, you history nerds, since you're so interested. Um, I'm kidding. Nobody asked on live stream. So anyway, essentially, there was two people very powerful. There was the Bishop of Constantinople and the Bishop of Alexandria, all right? Now, these two are battling minds, all right? There's this Antiochian think of, like, way of thinking, like kind of from Antioch, and then there's this Nestor, this um, Alexandrian way of thinking. It's kind of like this flesh versus mind, flesh versus spirit kind of battle, and they were battling over this, and it all boiled down to this one simple word that we all know and love, politics, okay? All boiled down to politics, so is the Eastern Church versus the Western Church. Which philosophical mind is going to win at the end? And I love this, okay? This is what's so funny. Cyril, all right, calls Nestorius and says, Listen, you don't believe that, mo that Mary is the mother of God. All right? And it's like this like, word, theokotos. Okay? You don't believe this. And Nestorius says, Well, yeah, I believe that, but this is how I would word it. And he words it ever so slightly different. All right, and I don't have it written down of exactly how you can do it. You can go home and Google it later and read about it. It's really interesting. He words it ever so slightly differently. And Cyril looks at it, and he goes, this is my opportunity to get this dude kicked out of the church because I don't like him. And he takes it, and he runs with it. And the first council of Ephesus, all right, condemns Nestorius as a heretic without any proof that he actually ever taught this. All right? What he actually said, when you look back through history, most scholars actually say, yeah, he wasn't a heretic. He didn't actually teach this. Now, there was people, though, 
that took what was being accredited to him and started teaching it. Okay, it's kind of like a, a good modern day example of this is the Da Vinci Code. Anybody familiar with the Da Vinci Code? Okay, guy wrote the Da Vinci Code. Dan Brown wrote the Da Vinci Code as fiction. People started believing it as historical fact, and then Dan Brown goes, you know what, it does make sense. Yeah, I believe that as historical fact. True story. That is exactly what happened. All right? Like, he wrote this book as fiction, then started believing it as, you cannot talk about, like, modernity in a better way than that. Just, like, modern-day way of thinking, bam, there it is right there. All right? So, same thing happened in Astorius. This thing was being accredited to him. He probably never taught it, but people eventually started following him. This is what's really interesting. I'm going to go off this, and then we're going to move on. These people got kicked out of the church, and they dispersed, all right? They went all over, like, Persia and this area. We can actually credit the gospel going to some unreached areas because of these people. They were kicked out because of this, because of they, because they believed orthodox. They believed orthodoxy at the beginning. Then it started kind of drifting, if you can make sense. Kind of how sometimes it happens. The first followers of Nestorius actually left the church and carried the gospel to Persia and different places like that. So the church grew because of this. All right, Justin Holcomb talks about that and know the heretics. So we can thank God for that. God can work and draw a straight line with a crooked stick. All right, that's my favorite saying. He can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Teaching is this: is that in Christ. There are two separate persons, a human person and a divine person, all right? So, as good old student pastors and educators do, we have an illustration, all right? So, this is the Jesus Cone. If you've never heard the Jesus Cone, this is a student ministry relic from 2016 North Greenville University, okay? Um, somebody put it on the side of the road, and I don't know why. I guess they thought that when they, people drove by, they were going to get saved. I don't know. It was just sitting there. I made the statement, hey, we should take a picture with that. One of my high school guys in the cover of the night got this, took it to my room. We took a picture with it. He forgot to put it back. Here it is. Okay? So, um, if anybody from North Greenville is watching this and you're missing your call, I'll get back to you. I don't know how, but we'll figure it out. All right. So, let's say this is Jesus. Let's say that the pig represents his divine nature. All right? And then the gummy bear represents his human nature. And we got Jesus. All right? Now, this is the thing, though. All right? That is biblically in a way that we can put it. But here's the thing. They would actually say that there are two people. All right? Two people living inside the body of Jesus. Jesus, divine person. Jesus, uh, human person. So there are two people living inside Jesus' body. Okay, do we see the issue here? Okay, because follow with me, okay? If Jesus has two people living inside of him, there could be conflicting minds. It could be like split personality. Do we ever see Jesus referring to, like, arguing with himself in the scripture? No, we don't see that, right? We don't see Jesus going, no, that is not what my human flesh wants to do. This is what my divine flesh wants to do. We don't ever see that. Jesus is not a we, okay? What does he refer to himself as? I. I. Okay? So, two persons, not two natures, two persons. I need to clarify that. Two persons inside of Jesus. All right? So, you have human person, divine person inside the body of Christ. Why do you guys think this is wrong? This is one that I think we err into a lot inside modern day church. Mm -hmm. Why is this wrong? They has two persons. In, 
Yeah, so in a sense, yes. We're going to talk about that one in just a minute. In a sense, there's somewhere that I would point out that I think so many times we err into the two persons category because that's the way our brain wants to think. We want to think of it as two persons. When philosophically, in the way that the fathers, the church fathers would say, is he has two natures. Two natures. All right. So we have a human nature, right? That is our sin nature. Jesus has a divine nature and a human nature. And they both dwell within him. Not two distinct persons. He is one person. That's the big thing about this heresy. This heresy would sit there and go, he has two persons inside of him. Two persons. Not two natures, two persons. Please hear that language and notice the big distinction there. All right? Because what could happen is, is if you do this, well, then you would sit there and you would go, well, Jesus' humanity could do this, but his divine human nature, his divine humanity, his divine personhood could do this. And then we start navigating into this, well, who died on the cross? Yes. Yes. So she just pointed out, somebody, uh, somebody in the room just pointed out that they said, um, I'm explaining for live stream so everybody can know. So what happens is, is that if, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Who's speaking? Is it the human person or the divine person? And then we have all these issues of salvation. So every time he says, I am the true vine, well, who's he talking about here? And then we get into these, I mean, it just gets really, 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 really hairy really quickly. All right? Do you understand the kind of the problems here? All right, we're thinking big brain. Anna. Oh, okay. So what you're saying is, is could this connect to like you know modern gender, like modern gender, gender identity and all those things? Um, I haven't seen it used in that way. Like, and, and now when I'm saying like I don't, I haven't seen somebody like <laughs> Stephen said yet. I haven't seen the storyism used in that way. But I have seen people, especially on Twitter, when you get into the Twitter verse, you get deep in there, and then there's just it's wild out there, folks. Um, when you get deep into Twitter. And you get on one of those Twitter rabbit holes. You start seeing people that will use some of that. Like, Jesus, well, Jesus was a they. He had, you know, a human body and a divine. He had this human person, this divine person. And he was a they. So, I have seen it. I don't think anybody's appealed to this yet. And I don't know. I think it's very possible. So, yes. That's a good question. Any other questions about this before we move on? I want to provide some scripture support for why a, there's a human, divine, a human nature and a divine nature. Uh, Colossians 2, 9 through 10. For in him the whole fullness of God dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. All right, so we actually see in Philippians 2, what did he do? He emptied himself. All right, and took on the form of a servant. So we have humanity and deity fully dwelling inside the one person of Jesus Christ. He is one person, 
both fully dwelling inside of him. And so we never see this. Jesus in his humanity did this. In his divine nature, he did this. Now, we can sit there and look at the scriptures and go, well, in his divine nature, he can stop the storm. And all right, and like make it the warm weather go, just come in. I can't do that in my human nature. And then in his humanity, we see him tired and we see him these things. Same thing, all right? I also put this on there, the Athanasian Creed. Now, let me explain the creeds really quick. All right, us as Baptists, we sometimes see creeds and we're like, no creed but scripture, all right? So um, let me just point out why I love the creeds. Scripture is the sun, all right? It gives us all the truth that we could ever need. Creeds are like the moon, all right? They reflect the truth of the sun down to us so that we can stay within the guidelines, all right? Because even when we say no creed but scripture, that is a creed in and of itself, okay? And so what we want to do is we want to stay within these guardrails, all right? You have to stay within the guardrails of biblical Christianity. Because what happens is, if you just sit there and go, well, I don't want to like stay in these guardrails because like, man, I just, we just love people and all these things. Well, then it becomes this like loosey-goosey Christianity where anybody can just hop in and then there's no grounding in historical truth and then you just ram through the guardrails. Now the problem is though, is that if you cling too closely to the creeds and you hold them so dear to scripture and you elevate them to a point where they're not meant to be equal with the scripture, or you know, like we'll see in some church traditions like, church tradition is up here with scripture, if we elevate it, well then a lot of times what happens is this cold dead orthodoxy comes in and you'll much rather cling to your truths than love people. All right, so the moon reflecting the sun in the same way the creeds reflect the truth of scripture. Athanasian Creed, named after one of my favorite church fathers, Athanasius. He is God from the essence of the father, begotten before time. He is human from the essence of his mother, born in time, completely God, completely human with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards divinity, less than the Father as regards humanity. Although he is God and human, yet Christ is not two, but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God's taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as the one human is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and human. We refer to this as the hypostatic union, all right? Hypostatic union. Uh, most systematic theologians quote, use this quote, remaining what he was, he became what he was not. Remaining what he was, he became what he was not. All right? So any questions about Nestorianism before we move on? All right, let's move on to monophysitism. All right, that's the word of tonight. All right, monophysitism. It literally means what? Anybody know? Mono, one. All right, there's your root word for the fun. All right, one nature. All right, one nature. That's essentially what it means, one nature. Now, what's fun, what's fun about monophysitism is that we actually have a large sect of the church that is still monophysites. Anybody know where they are located? No, not Utah. No, that's a good one. <laughs> not Utah. <laughs> I love it. All right, where are they? Egypt. Egypt, the Coptic Church. All right, the Coptic Church. Large, large, large sect of uh, monophysites um, that still reside there. So they actually still teach this. Um, now, it also goes by another name of Eutychianism. I'm going to refer to it as that from here on out because I like saying that better. Eutychianism uh, from a monk named Eutychius. We know nothing about him except for this. All right. He was a um, leader of an abbot, all right, monastery leader in Constantinople. And so now, once again, church politics, okay, church politics. I'm going to explain just a little bit of fun about this one. So there's this guy, 
Um, his name starts with Theo. I don't remember his last name. I think it's Theodorius. Theodorius um, notices that these Eutychians are getting thrown out of the church. Like, this isn't orthodox. This isn't orthodox. Because this is what's so fun about the early church. If somebody taught something that was contrary to orthodoxy, somebody would actually stand up. And people were, like, talking out in the crowd. And people are eating in the crowd. There's, like, dogs. There's, like, screaming, all these things. You can read about this, especially in the Reformation, about, like, all these people, like, how crazy it was. Early church is even crazier. And so if somebody taught something that was contrary to Scripture, somebody would stand up and be like, that's not right. That wasn't what so-and-so taught us. All right, and they would just like go on in, in like this huge fight. So they were throwing out these Eutychians like out of the church like crazy. And so this Theodorus hears about this politics, once again, Western church versus Eastern church. Antioch versus Alexandria starts brewing again. Theodorus calls for Ephesus 2. All right, Ephesus 2. Ephesus 1 was where Nestorianism and all these other, well, was where Apollinarianism gets condemned. Ephesus 2 is where monophysitism is now called into question, and they restore him to the church because of church politics. All right, this guy was teaching outright heresy. Now, we look back in history, and we say, you know what, Nestorius, he was right. You know, he, he didn't teach anything wrong, necessarily. His followers did. He didn't. He didn't teach anything wrong. Eutychus, yeah, he definitely was teaching something very wrong. It was very contrary to Scripture, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, about what that was. He gets restored. There's this guy named Flavian. He rolls up to the council. Pope Leo the Great can't be at the council, so he writes a letter stating the orthodox position. Okay? Stating the orthodox position. They say, we're not reading it. So they ignore the Pope's letter, all right, which is a big deal at this time. They ignore the Pope's letter, don't open it. Flavian calls them out for being unorthodox, and all these Eutychian followers then pile up on Flavian and beat him to death. And that was the first Baptist church business meeting. I'm kidding. All right, so anyway. <laughs> and so, but really, I mean, seriously, that's what happened. They beat this man to death at a church council where this ecumenical, all these churches from all over the, uh, all over the um, known world are come to this place. And Pope Leo the Great eventually calls it the robber synod. The robber synod. And they go back and negate everything that was done there. All right, and now it's still called today, to this day, the robber synod. Um, really, really, really crazy story in church history. So, what do they teach? The opposite of Nestorianism. All right, Eutychius denied that human, denied the human and divine nature in Jesus remained fully human and fully divine. Okay, so he denied this. The teaching is that the human nature of Jesus was absorbed into the divine so that both natures mixed and created this new third nature, a new nature. All right, so now Jesus only has one nature. And this is actually how a monophysitist will still teach you about this. They say that Christ's humanity was like a drop of wine in the ocean. All right? So, it essentially be like this. Very simple. Food coloring into water. I drip it in. And slowly and surely, it starts to change the water. Now, is this still water? Kind of. I added something to it. All right, so kind of, it's kind of water, but I added something to it, so now it's like this like Hulk serum. I'm going to call it Hulk serum because it's green. And so now it's something completely new. It's not just water anymore. It's this added thing. So essentially what they say is, is that his divine nature swallows up his human nature, and now we have this new third nature. All right, this one nature living inside of Christ. All right, so what's wrong with that? So 
Same thing with this role in the first one. If, you if there's no human nature, you can't relate to humanity. Yes. God alone can forgive sin. Exactly. All right, I wrote this down. If Jesus is not truly God nor man, how could he save us? All right, how could someone who is not fully man represent us or not fully God satisfy God's wrath to earn our salvation? This is why these things are so important, y'all, and why these terms are so important. I know that some of you are sitting there going, why does this matter? This matters a lot. And it's to the point now where I hope that orthodox thinking has just been so ingrained into our brains, which, I mean, my theology started with talking vegetables, you know what I'm saying? And so, like, I mean, that's how mine goes back to. But ultimately, ultimately, I hope that what we think is, is Jesus is fully God, fully man. One person. One person. He's not some demigod, all right? He's not some demigod. He's not 50% God, 50% man combined together. That would be this. All right, please note that. Please note that. And this is why, y'all, and just being real with you, every illustration of everything with the Godhead falls short. We cannot comprehend that Jesus is fully man and fully God, divine nature, human nature, inside of one person. We cannot comprehend that. Because when we try to, we get into these theological weeds. And y'all, Jesus becomes nothing more than just something of our own figment, of our own imagination. I think it was Tertullian, who's one of my favorite church fathers, who's talking about the Trinity. He said, no human could have ever thought this up. It's too complex. No human could have ever thought this up. And so, but when we read the scriptures, we have to deal with the scriptures as they are. And so that's why these things are so important because when we deal with the scriptures as they are, when we deal with who Jesus is as he reveals himself in his word, we come away with Jesus, one person, divine nature, human nature, inside of him. And now we come away with this and we go, okay, this is what has been revealed. I may not fully understand it right now, but one day I will, and I will trust in his truth. That is why this matters, brothers and sisters. All right, so you flip over to the back page, the last page, we have a solution to all of this. All right, a Chalcedon um, in AD 451, this is one of the ecumenical creeds. When we say ecumenical creeds, that means that it is a creed that the church worldwide recognizes. Every Protestant church recognizes this, or they should. Every Catholic church recognizes this. Every Eastern Orthodox church recognizes this. If somebody is outside of this, all right, if somebody's outside of this, they are not an orthodox believer. All right, now why do I say that? Does that creed hold that kind of weight? Yes, because it is what? Reflecting the truths of Scripture. Does that make sense? All right, and so one of the things I like to do, especially the creeds, is um, I like to read them and go, okay, does this go back and reflect the truth of Scripture? Yes, now the thing is, is that once you get kind of past like 500, 600 AD, 8500, 80, 8600, once you start getting kind of past that point, you start seeing some of these like councils get kind of wonky. And then, like, you get to, like, the Council of Trent, which is, like, Reformation time. And they say, anyone who believes in justification by faith alone, let them be anathema, which means cut from Christ. And now Catholic churches recognize every council as, like, God's word truth. All right? That is the level of the council. So 
that is what the Catholic Church teaches about us. That is church dogma in the Catholic Church. So notice that once you start getting kind of past those, you start seeing these leaks of doctrine that aren't biblical. All right? So that's why you have to compare the creed to the scriptures. Okay? Always compare the creed to the scriptures because what is our source of truth? What is our son? The scriptures. All right? So Chalcedonian Creed, I'm going to read this. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach people to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable, rational soul and body, consubstantial, coessential with the Father according to the Godhead, consubstantial with us according to the manhood. And that is speaking to Apollinarianism. All right, so if you go back and look at Apollinarianism, they are addressing it head on right there. All right, in all things like unto us without sin, begotten before all the ages of the Father, according to the Godhead in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, all right, kicking at Nestorianism, all right, because Nestoria said, I wouldn't word the mother of God that way. All right, so they said that the mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten to be Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.